I, I heard about an old boy who went through, uh, at that time, the famous uh, Jamestown flood. And uh, he was so carried away with the Jamestown flood that everywhere he was, uh, he asked to say a few words about the Jamestown flood. He was just uh, eat up with it. And so the old boy died and uh, went to heaven. And uh, he said to them when he got there, uh, he said to the Lord, he said, Lord, said, uh, uh, now that I'm here, uh, I would like to address uh, heaven and uh, have a few words to say about the Jamestown flood. And the Lord said, well, sure, we'll be happy to let you do that. And, and we want you to know that uh, you will be speaking right after our first speaker, uh, whose name is Noah. And so <laughs> I guess you thought it was Noah's flood before the thing was over, uh, but marvelous. And, uh, and then, you know, I, I think about it. What do you do uh, when uh, a country preacher like me stands uh, where Pastor Bill Monroe stands and so faithfully preaches every week? Uh, what does a guy like uh, I do uh, when you find yourself in that circumstances? Well, sometimes you just have to do what you have to do. And uh, fortunately, I've had a lot of experience doing what you have to do. Uh, when I was a, a high school boy, my mother had a curfew on me. Uh, I had to be in uh, on the weekend nights at uh, 12 o'clock midnight. That was my curfew. And so on uh, an evening, a uh, weekend evening, uh, I was coming in one night and I had my shoes in my hand and I was tiptoeing through the hallway, and it was 2 o'clock a.m. And uh, my mother woke up, and uh, she said, uh, Jerry, is, uh, is that you? And I said, yes, Mama. She said, what time is it? I said, it's 12 o'clock, Mama. <laughs> and about that time, our cuckoo clock cuckooed two times. So I just stood there and cuckooed 10 more times. <laughs> Sometimes you just have to do what you have to do, Brother Jim. And so I'll do my cuckooing and I'll get out of the, I'll get out of the way. Uh, we're going to build our two messages today around the theme of the B-I-B-L-E, the Bible. And this morning, uh, with the help of the Lord, I want to speak to you uh, on the believer and his or her Bible. And then I want you to come back tonight because I want to speak on the Savior and his Bible. So I want you to turn this morning to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and uh, some familiar verses to us. In fact, I preached on uh, the fourth chapter uh, at, at a meeting here uh, with the Baptist Bible Fellowship, and some of you may have been, but I want to lead up to these verses uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 3. So I'm going to ask you, if you would, to stand now and follow in your Bible uh, as I read these verses, and then we'll go into the message and if you'll keep these verses before you uh, as we go. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, beginning with verse 14. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Now then, just tiptoeing down through the verses in chapter 4 in verse 2, preach the Word. 
Then going down into verse 5, do the work of an evangelist. Now dropping all the way down to verse 13, bring the cloak when you come, bring the books, but especially the parchments. Thank you, and you may be seated, and may God bless the reading and now the preaching of His holy word. In beautiful human language, resplendent with the divine inspiration, the Apostle Paul lays upon the heart of the young man Timothy the Bible's doctrine of its own inspiration. It's remarkable, really, and very beautiful the way that Paul does this because he is giving words of instruction to a young minister of the gospel. And he reminds this young minister that he has available to him a book which he calls the Holy Scriptures. And he reminds him that this is the book he is to declare. And it also is a reminder to him that this is the book that helps him and helps all believers to live the Christian life. Now, you will notice that Paul begins in verse 14 by saying to him, from a child, uh, verse 14, continuing the things you have learned, and then in verse 14, from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. And it reminds us that the uh, uh, young man Timothy had come to know Christ when he was just a boy, when he was a child. I don't know about you. I don't know what your first uh, relationship to the Bible was. But for many of us in the building today, our first connection with the Bible came about when we were a child. Do you remember the vacation Bible school days, some of you old-timers? And we used to come in, and we'd have an, an assembly, and uh, someone would be chosen to, uh, to have the Christian flag. Someone else would have the American flag. And then someone would be chosen to hold in their hands the Bible. And then we would give the pledge of allegiance to the Bible, and then we'd sing a song. Sometimes we would sing, A Holy Bible Book Divine, Precious Treasure Thou Art Mine, Mine to Tell Me Whence I Came, Mine to Tell Me Whose I Am. And then sometimes we would really like this one, we would sing that song, the B-I-B-L-E, and we would really go to rocking when we got on that one. The B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. How many of you remember the old song, the B-I-B-L-E? And so from a child, this young man, Timothy, had known about the Scriptures. I want to point out to you also as we begin that he refers to the Bible as the Holy Scriptures. Do you see that in verse 15? From a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. It is an unusual combination of words found only here in all of the Bible. The word for scriptures is the Greek word grammata, which means the writings are the books. And the word holy is a, comes from a Greek word hiera, and it's used only one other time in the Bible in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 30, where it talks about the sacred are the holy things of the temple. And so Paul calls the Bible the Holy Scriptures, that which pertains to God, that which is sacred, that which is holy. Of no other book in existence could it ever be said, it is the Holy Scriptures. From a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. And so Paul now begins to unfold the doctrine of the, the Scriptures themselves, and he does it in a very beautiful way. In verses 14 and in 15, 
He takes us to the counseling room and he shows us the intention of the Bible. Then in verses 16 and 17, he takes us into the classroom and he shows us the inspiration of the Bible. And then down in chapter 4, the first 13 verses, he takes us into the crisis room and he shows us the implications of the Bible. So let's begin now in verses 14 and 15. We're in the counseling room now, and there we learn about the intention of the Bible. What is the purpose of the Bible? What is the Bible intended to do? Well, Paul says to the young man, Timothy, from a child, you have known the Holy Scriptures that are able to make you wise unto salvation. You know, Timothy was blessed uh, uh, like some of us have been blessed, and, and many of you perhaps have not been blessed. He came from a heritage of faith. You may just glance over to the first chapter of Second uh, Timothy for a moment, and in verse 5 of the first chapter, uh, he says, Paul says to him, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, and that dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois, and thy mother Eunice. Do you see that godly heritage of the young man Timothy? There was Timothy, there was his mother Eunice, and there was his grandmother Lois. I, I, I'm ashamed to tell you how old I was and how long I had been preaching when I finally found out what the TEL Sunday school class stood for. Uh, uh, almost every Baptist church in the earlier years would have a TEL Sunday school class and it was made up of grandmothers. And so it stood for Timothy, Eunice, and Lois. Can you just see how marvelous it was for little Timothy as his mom and grandmom would say, well, what will we read, Tiny Tim, today? And they would read some precious verse of Scripture planting the seed of the Word of God in his heart. And then on a day, there was a preacher named Paul who came to their city of Lystra. And Paul preached the Holy Scriptures. He preached the message of the Bible. And down the aisle came a little boy named Timothy. And he gave his hand to the preacher, and he gave his heart to Jesus, and he was made wise unto salvation. And you know, I can almost imagine Baptist Deacon went home that day and and somebody said, well, how was church today? He said, well, uh, it was all right. The music was a little flat, and, and we had a long-winded preacher named Paul. Uh, well, did anything happen uh, much at church today? Well, not much. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, Tim, you know, Eunice, and uh, Eunice's boy and Lois's grandboy, uh, he got saved today. Not much happened today. Not much. Here was the man who was the traveling companion of the apostle Paul. Not much. Here is a man to whom two of the books of our Bible were addressed, not much. Here is a man who, when he came to Christ as a young boy, called uh, fruit, calls fruit basket turnover in heaven, and the angels run in the streets of gold, rejoice, not much. Ladies and gentlemen, what I say to you today, never ever underestimate the conversion of a little boy or a little girl. I heard about a man one time said, well, did you have any results in church today? He said, oh, yes. We had two and a half conversions. He said, you mean two adults and a little one? He said, oh, no, no, no. We had two little ones and one adult. You see, when a 
when a boy or a girl uh, comes to Christ like I did when I was at the age of nine, you've got a whole lifetime that you can live for the Lord. And so he says to young Timothy, uh, continue with the things you've heard that from a child you've known the Holy Scriptures. Now watch this that are able to make you wise unto salvation. Now, you see, dear one, that shows us right there what the intention of the Bible is. The Bible is a book that is intended to make people wise unto salvation. I want you to pray for a young African-American man. I met at breakfast this morning that he will come to know Christ because I was able to share with him the things from the Scripture that make you wise unto salvation. Now, how wise do you have to be to be saved? Well, there are basically only three things you need to know in order to be saved. The first thing you need to know is that uh, you are a great sinner. And we learn from the Bible that we are great sinners. Oh, yes, the Bible confirms uh, it confirms what, uh, our, uh, what our soul, what experience screams in our soul that we are all sinners. In sin did my mother conceive me, the Bible says. There is none righteous, no, not one, the Bible says. Uh, there, are, there is none righteous, no, not one, uh, the, uh, we, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The first thing you need to know to be saved is to know that you need to be saved because you are a great sinner. But here's the second thing you need to know. You need to know also that Jesus is a great Savior. I fully concur with what your pastor has said this morning. That's one of the greatest gospel songs ever composed. Oh, what a Savior. And ladies and gentlemen, it is in the pages of the Bible that we learn that Jesus is indeed the great Savior. You see, the Bible says about Jesus, to Him give all of the prophets witness. Uh, You see, dear one, if you want to know about the stars, you read astronomy. If you want to know about the bright and morning star, you read the Bible. If you want to know uh, about uh, the the, the roses and and the lilies, uh, you study botany. But if you want to know about the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valley, you read the Bible. If you want to know about the ages of the rocks, you read astronomy. But if you want to know about the rock of ages, you read the Bible. I find my Lord in the Bible wherever I choose to look. He is the theme of the Bible, the center and heart of the book. He is the rose of Sharon. He is the lily fair. Wherever I open my Bible, the Lord of the book is there. All we know about Jesus, his birth, his life, his crucifixion, his resurrection, his exaltation, we learn in the pages of the Holy Scriptures, the Bible. And so that's the second thing you have to know to be saved. I'm a great sinner, number one. Jesus is a great Savior, number two. But then number three... Uh, I may have a great salvation. And what that means is if you know you're a sinner, if you believe Jesus died on the cross and paid the price for your sins, if you will repent of those sins and receive Jesus into your heart and into your life, you can be saved this very morning. And so it is able to make you wise unto salvation. And you see, that's why really that that. Preachers get upset and and knowledgeable uh, believers get upset 
when people tamper with the Bible. When you tamper with the Bible, you're talking, you're dealing with the only book that can tell people how to be saved, stay out of hell and go to heaven when they die. Uh, you see, to tamper with the, the, the Bible is, is like uh, poisoning uh, uh, the water of a thirsty man. Uh, to mess with the Bible is like polluting the bread of a hungry man. Uh, to tamper with the Bible is like tampering with the medicine uh, of, a, of a sick man. We get upset when people begin to tamper with God's holy word. A number of years ago, there was a man named Henry Ward Beecher, uh, a preacher of some note uh, in those days, and he was invited to come and address the atheist club uh, in that particular area. And so uh, Beecher went to the club, and, and the speaker before him was the noted infidel and atheist Robert Ingersoll. And Robert Ingersoll delivered a blistering attack on the infallibility and the inerrancy and the authority of Scripture. And he sat down to thunderous applause. And then Ingersoll, with a scowl on his face, looked at the preacher Beecher, and he said, now, Beecher, would you like to say just a few words in defense of the Bible? And Mr. Beecher went before the people, and he said, you'll have to forgive me if I'm a little bit shaken this morning. But on the way over here, I saw something that disturbed me greatly. He said, as I came over here, I saw a blind man, and he was groping along with a cane, and a, and a little lad came along and, and, and took him by the hand to try to help the blind man get across the, the street. And about that time, a hulk of a man came along and he bullied the boy and he broke the man's cane and he pushed the man, uh, the blind man, in the mud and he went on his way laughing. And Ingersoll stood to his feet, filled with indignation, and he said, who is that man, uh, Beecher? Who is that man? We'll tend to that man. And Beecher said, it is you, Ingersoll. He said, it is you. He said, men are blind in their sins, and little they have to, to get them along, and few there are who help them along the way. And what do you do, Beecher? You make fun of those who would help them. You break their confidence in the Bible. You push them into the mud of hopelessness, and you go on your way. I tell you, Beecher, uh, well, Beecher, uh, Saul, you are the man. And that's why we get upset, don't we, when anybody messes with our Bible. And so we go, first of all, to the counseling room, and we learn the intention of the Bible. But then secondly, uh, beginning in verse 16 uh, and 17, he takes us into the classroom, and he shows us the inspiration of the Bible. Now, we are coming now into a classroom. We do not come into that classroom as scholars. There are no scholars in the Bible, really. Uh, we come as students who are trying to understand, who are trying to learn something about the inspiration of the Bible. And notice what he says uh, in verse uh, 16 in particular. I I'll just dwell on the first few words. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now, there he lays before us the Bible's uh, uh, interpretation of its own inspiration. Now, let's start at the end of the phrase and move back to the front. All Scripture is given. Now, watch. Given by inspiration of God. That's what the King James has to say. Did you know those five words there are necessary to interpret one word in the Greek text? The one word translated here, given by inspiration of God, is the Greek word 
theopneustos, and it is really made of two Greek words. It is made up of the word for God, theos, and it is made up of the word for spirit or breath or wind, neustos. And you put them together, theopneustos, and it means God breathed. All Scripture is God breathed. Now, what that means is, then by necessity, if you just follow on to its logical meaning, when you talk about the Bible and if you say it is God breathed, that means you have to believe in a Bible without errors. How can an inerrant God breathe an errant book? All Scripture is God breathed. God breathed into the pages of your Bible. Well, you say, well, preacher, what about, uh, what about the human authors of the Bible? Well, we recognize the human authors of the Bible. We recognize the fact that God used human beings uh, to write down the various books of, of our uh, Bible. And, and you see the personalities uh, of the human beings all the way through the Bible. Uh, you see the burning sarcasm of an Isaiah. You see the moving pathos of, of a Jeremiah. Uh, you see the, uh, the, the, the deep uh, philosophy of a John. You see the crisp logic of, of a Paul. And, and all of those men were divinely prepared by the Holy Spirit so that what they gave us is indeed the infallible, inerrant Word of God. And they write uh, like they were. Uh, Amos writes like a, a farmer. Uh, Simon Peter like, writes like a fisherman. Luke writes like a scientist doctor. Uh, Paul, uh, uh, James writes like a preacher. And when you put them all together, you have a Bible that is given by inspiration of God. Uh, it's kind of like an organ. Uh, you, in some places, they have a, a pipe organ. And, you know, the, the pipes are, are designed and they're constructed and they're built in, in different ways so that each one of those pi pipes will give off a distinct sound. But all of those pipes in that pi pipe organ are given their fluency and are given their sound by means of the same breath. It's exactly what 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 21 says, Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And so we're talking about supernatural inspiration. Uh, we're, we're talking about the fact that it is of God, that it is supernatural in its inspiration. But now then, move on. I, I'd like to say more at that point, but now let's move on to the, the word right before that. All Scripture is given by inspiration. And the word Scripture here is a different word from the word up there in verse 15. In verse 15, it's the word grammata, which means the books or the writings, now, when he uses the word Scripture in verse 16, it's the Greek word graphe, from which we get the word graph or graphic. All Scripture is given by inspiration. What that means is verbal inspiration. That means that the actual words of the Bible are inspired of God. You know, I, I, you know, when I went to school back there, I went to a very, very liberal uh, Baptist university, and, and they said to us, well, you know, you know, the words of the Bible aren't inspired, just the thoughts in the Bible are inspired. Now, I know I'm just a country hick from Georgia, I understand that, 
but, but I never could figure out how you could have thoughts without having words. I mean, let, let, let's try it out. Y'all, y'all, y'all try it out right now. I want you to think a thought, but don't think any words. I mean, just right now, don't say it out loud, but, but I want you to think a thought, but don't use any words. Well, well what are you thinking? There is no math without numbers. There is no music without notes. And there are no thoughts without words. The words of the Bible. You say, well, ah, what did Jesus believe about the Bible? I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you what Jesus uh, said about it. Well, in fact, I'll tell you what you do. Go over to your, uh, uh, your New Testament, to Matthew chapter 4, and, and let me just show you a couple of things here. Uh, if there's a deacon sitting around, just tell him that's in the New Testament, not in the Old. But, but anyhow, uh, I'm just kidding. I'm, you deacons, don't get upset. But, but in Matthew chapter 4... Listen to what Jesus said in verse 4. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, and we'll deal with this passage tonight. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Sounds to me like he believed in verbal inspiration of the Scripture. Every word. Oh, he's got, it gets even better than that. Look over at the fifth chapter and at the 18th verse, the words of Jesus. My Bible's got the words of Jesus in red. Uh, That helps me. Look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 18. Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass. Now watch. One jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Now, what do you know about a jot and a tittle? Well, a, a jot was the smallest letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It's like a, a, a smooth breathing mark. Just one little yod. It's called the little Hebrew word, uh, the letter yod. One yod and one tittle. That, that's the little, uh, like in the Hebrew word beta, uh, the, 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 the letter beta. Uh, the, there's the beta here. And then there's a little tiny horn on the end of it that's about one thirty-second uh, of an inch. I don't know a whole lot about it, but I studied Hebrew when I was going to school and try to work in some of it a little bit today. And I got news for you. If you miss your, if you miss your jot and your tittle, you're in big trouble in Hebrew. Jesus not only said the words are inspired, he said even the little smallest letter or a little horn of the Scripture is inspired of God. Verbal inspiration. You can have confidence in your Bible. But then notice he said all Scripture. And the word all there means the whole and every part of the whole is inspired of God. That means total inspiration of the Bible. Now back at the turn of the century, an old thief slipped into this country. He was an old thief. He had already done his damage over in Germany. He had destroyed the faith of an entire nation of people He had undercut their belief in the authority of God's infallible, inerrant word of God, and he made his way to America. And that old thief came into the coast, and he came right on down the coastline. And everywhere that old thief went, he caused destruction and doubt and and, uh, despair in the hearts and in the minds of people. I call that old thief destructive criticism that takes the warm wonder of the word and uh, holds it up to the merciless, merciless cold stare of unbelief. 
I, I call it uh, destructive criticism that clips the wings of faith with the scissors of reason. And uh, that old thief has done its damage because, you see, that old thief has got some uh, uh, tools that he uses. Old destructive criticism has a uh, heretical hammer and drive the nails of unbelief and anti-supernaturalism into the Bible. No room for the miracles in the Bible anymore. That's what they'd have you believe. You say, preacher, do you believe everything in the Bible? Yeah, I believe it all the way from Genesis to maps. I believe the whole bit. You mean, preacher, you believe in the miracles of the Bible? Yeah, I believe in the miracles of the Bible. You say, well, do you really believe that Jonah spent three days and three nights in the belly of a big fish? Yeah, I believe that. I don't know how the fish stood him, but I believe it happened. And then, you know, they always ask this one, don't they, preacher? Where did Cain get his wife? And, you know, they sit there, you know, where did Cain get his wife, preacher? Uh Uh-huh. Well, listen, I don't know where Cain got his wife. I don't care where Cain got his wife. If Cain was happier with her, happy with her, I'm happy with her. I don't care. I ain't got all the answers in the Bible, but I believe it. I believe in the miracle of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that Jesus Christ was really dead on the cross of Calvary, that they put him in a borrowed tomb, and I believe three days later up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph o'er his foes. I ain't got any room for you destructive criticism. Go ahead and meddle with the bones of Scripture. I'm going to continue to feast my life on the meat of the Word of God. But you know what? We've got another thief now today. We've got another thief in this day, and I call it the old conservative thief. It's an inside job. In Acts chapter 20, verse 30, it says that there will men arise from you teaching perverse things. Ladies and gentlemen, we have in our day those who say they believe the Bible, and yet in practical behavior and activity, they do not believe the Bible. In fact, they even minimize the exposition of Scripture like your pastor does and like I try to do. And they belittle the things of of the Bible, or they say, I believe the Bible, but that won't work today in our changing culture and in our sophisticated time, And, and so we just don't preach the Bible. Well, let me ask you a question then. What's the difference between the liberal who doesn't believe in the Bible and doesn't preach it and the conservative who says he does believe the Bible and doesn't preach it? The practical result is the same. So we go into the counseling room and we learn there about the intention of the Bible. We go into the classroom and and we learn about the inspiration of the Bible And then working on down, on into the fourth chapter, we go into the crisis room and we learn about the implications of the Bible. Uh, You you see, ladies and gentlemen, and I I preached on this when I was here uh, in the spring, uh, but uh, you move on down through that fourth chapter and and you will see that, that what you believe about your Bible has implications in many directions. One of the implications is found in verse 2 where it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, preach the word. Now, you are a blessed people. Uh, you are a, in a congregation where the Bible is believed and where the Bible is honored, and dear one, where the Bible is preached. You ought to, every day of your life, get down on your knees and thank the Lord that you belong to a church where there is a pastor 
who believes and preaches the Bible, the word of the living God. That's the implications right there. And I'll tell you, ladies and gentlemen, you just need to go out. You need to get out more. Uh, you need to be aware of the fact that that is, a, that is a rare thing today for people when they come to the house of God to hear the Bible preached. It has expositional uh, implications. But now notice, drop on down to verse nine, 5. Do the work of an evangelist. Let's just pick that out right there for a moment. It has implications for our evangelistic work. Your pastor has focused on evangelism for these almost 50 years that he has been your pastor, and he keeps it before you all of the time. And there's that lighthouse over there, and, and everywhere you turn. And you see, the bottom line, the thing that's so wonderful about you people, you're willing to adjust, you're willing to change, you're willing to do different things because your focus is always on doing the work of an evangelist, winning people to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But I got news for you. If you don't believe the Bible, you're out of business when you go into a lost home. Go with me for a moment into a lost home. Modest little dwelling. You walk in, the carpet is smelling worn. Beer bottles are scattered all over the building, all over the room. There's a father who's battling alcoholism. Here's a mother who's about to have a nervous breakdown. Here's a daughter who is... Uh, expecting out of wedlock, here's a boy who's on drugs. And you go in there with a Bible. And you sit there and you say, I'd like to share with you a little bit from the Bible. We don't know that it's all reliable. And, and I want to share with you that the Bible says we're all sinners, but I, we're not sure that that means everybody. And, and we want to share with you that, that Jesus uh, is the Savior, but we don't know really that he lived a sinless life. We're not really sure what happened on the cross, and we're convinced he didn't literally come from the dead. Uh, would you like to be saved? And probably the man will say, no, but uh, could you get me in touch with uh, AA? And could you get my, uh, a good psychiatrist for my wife? And, and could you give me the number of Planned Parenthood? And, and could you give me some drug agency to help my boy. Ladies and gentlemen, if you don't believe the Bible, you're out of business when you go into the home of lost people. I'm just here to tell you, you are. It has not only expositional implications, it has not only evangelical applications, but it has eternal applications. And I don't have time to deal with it all here. I've, I dealt with it in the message I said before. But as you move down through those verses, you will notice that the Apostle Paul is aware of the fact that he will be soon out there in eternity. Ladies and gentlemen, we're all beating a path to death. And after death, there is only an eternal hell or there is an eternal heaven. And as we all move toward that impending time of death and departure from this world, we need to learn what, what Paul talks about here when he says the time in verse 6, I'm ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. I've fought a good fight. Can you say that? I have finished my course. You'll say that. I have kept the faith. Can you say that? And then he turns his attention toward eternity. And he goes out with victory. And he says to young Timothy, especially bring the parchment. When it comes time to die, what book would you like in your hand? When you're getting ready to go out into eternity and meet the Lord, wouldn't it be good 
wouldn't it be good to have the Holy Scriptures? Wouldn't it be good to have the precious promises of God's Word? You know, I was a student, and I, I said to you at a, at a liberal Baptist university, and uh, I heard things I'd never heard before. I was fortunate I was brought up in a church like yours where the Bible was believed and preached, and I was taught that. And, and then I went into a liberal university, and, and the first thing I heard in the New Testament class were these words, direct quote, any man who says the Bible is not filled with contradictions is a fool. Can you imagine how that affected an 18-year-old boy? And then I went into the church history class, and the professor said, direct quote, Christianity is going to be replaced by something better. Can you imagine what that did to a young preacher boy? And in a similar experience to what Billy Graham evidently had, I went across the town from the college, and I got out into a beautiful forest of trees, and I had my little Bible, and I got down on my knees at an old stump, and I put that Bible on that stump, and I said, Lord, I'm hearing men say things I've never heard about the Bible. Lord, they're far smarter than I'll ever be. I, I, I don't have all of their answers, but Lord, I've been taught to believe that your Bible is the Holy Scriptures, that it is the Word of the living God. And I said, Lord, I, you've called me to preach it, and Lord, I, I'm going to preach it, and I'm going to do the very best I can and, 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 and I'm just going to believe it. I'm just going to see if it works. I'm going to see what it'll do. Ladies and gentlemen, that's been about 60 years now. And I can say to you, I know the Bible was sent from God. The old as well as the new. Divinely inspired the whole way through. I know the Bible is true. I've stood before congregations or grieving people at the funeral of loved ones, and I read them something like, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Or I have read them, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow, I fear no evil, for thou art with me. And I have literally seen the Word of God bring comfort and hope and solace to grieving families. And so it comes time to guy. Look to tie. Look at the left over there. There on the left is an individual, and he dies, and he has no Bible. He has no hope. He has no uh, joy as he, he's he faced a Christless eternity. And now look to the right, and there is a believer who has the Word of God, and there's a shout of joy upon his lips, and there is hope in his heart. And he goes out into eternity to meet the very one that he learned about in the pages. From the Holy Bible. I'm going to close now. There's a lot more I'd like to say. I heard about a young preacher who uh, was preaching at an old-fashioned camp meeting. And uh, after uh, the service was over, they had no lanterns and they had no flashlights. And uh, the young preacher realized he was going to go on some tre treacherous paths uh, getting back to the cabin where he was staying. And, and an older gentleman saw the predicament of the young man, and he took some pine brush, and he set it on fire. And he said to the young man, here, take this. It'll get you home. And the young man looked at him, and he said, well, well what if the wind's blow it out. He said, oh, it'll see you home. 
He said, well, what if the rains fall and, and drown it out? He said, oh, it'll, it'll see you home. Well, well, what if it burns out? And the man said, oh, son, it'll see you home. And you hold in your hands this morning a book. And the winds of unbelief can't blow it out. And the rains of skepticism and atheism cannot drown it out. And it will never go out itself because it is the eternal word of the living God. Now watch. Let's go right back to my first point. Now I'm not starting over. Don't, don't worry about it. But I'm sure that there are people sitting here this morning and you need to be saved. You have heard from the Bible what you have to do to be saved. Number one, to know that you're a great sinner. Do you know you're a sinner today? I have a feeling every one of you in this building who you're lost would say, oh yeah, I know I'm a sinner. That's, the, that's my problem. And then number two, you need to know that Jesus is a great Savior, that He lived a sinless life, that He died on the cross, paid the price for all of your sins, that He rose again to give you victory over sin. And you say, yes, preacher, I believe every bit of that. I believe he's the Savior. And then here's number three. You may have a great salvation. You say, I'd like that, preacher. All right, let's bow our heads. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here in this room this morning and you have never been saved, you know you're a sinner, you know Jesus is a great Savior, and you would like to be saved, let me lead you in what we call a sinner's prayer. Now, these words that I'm using in the prayer doesn't save you. Jesus saves, but, but God has ways of getting us to Jesus. He uses means to get us to Jesus. And so let me just word a little prayer for you, and if it's what you would like to make your prayer to the Lord, then I'm going to ask you to pray it to the Lord right now. Pray this. Make this your prayer, not to me, but to the Lord. Dear Lord Jesus, pray that in your heart. I know I'm a sinner. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Forgive me of all my sin. Come into my life, Lord Jesus, and save me right now. I give my life to you, and I will live for you. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed.